0: Hey good morning Campbell. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, holding up all right under the stress of the holiday season. As Brian mentioned, there's so much going on at this time of year that it is easy to lose sight of what Christmas is all about, and what is Christmas all about? Well, that's the question that this sermon series entitled, Investigating in Christmas, is trying to answer. And so we're looking at the five W's that every first-year journalism student is taught to ask when doing uh, research for a potential story. We kicked off this series by looking at who Christmas is about and who is Christmas about. Well. That part of our investigation set us on a journey with the Magi where we discovered that the center of the Christmas story is a newborn king by the name of Jesus. And then we turned our attention and we asked, what happened? And what happened was this, the Holy Spirit formed Jesus in the womb of a teen virgin to preserve his dual nature, fully human, and fully divine. And there's only one word to describe that, and that would be miraculous. And then last week, we traveled to where Jesus was born, the village of Bethlehem. It was the most unexpected of places, but we were reminded by that part of the story that God often does His greatest work in the least expected places. And so today, as we continue this investigation, we turn our attention to the the fourth W, when. When was Jesus born? You say, that's easy, I've got this one. He was born on December 25th. Well, probably not. You say, well, why then do we celebrate it on this particular day? Well, in A.D. 385, a pope by the name of Julius I said, hey, let's, let's honor, let's celebrate, let's acknowledge Christ's birth on this particular day. And so that's what our society, our world has been doing ever since. But most theologians prefer a spring birthday. Apologist Lee Strobel writes these words. He says, history doesn't pinpoint Jesus' birthday, Spring is most likely because shepherds were watching their flocks at night, and this is when ooze ooze bore uh, bore their young. It's interesting, right? Imagine doing all things Christmas in April. (laughs) That would be kind of weird, wouldn't it? It wouldn't feel right. But we're reminded that an investigation often leads you to a truth that's right, even if it feels wrong. Now I know what some of you are thinking this morning, you're all excited because you're thinking right now, well, if nobody knows the exact when, then this this sermon ought to end rather quickly. And we can just get out of here and onto the next part of our day. And I hate to disappoint you, especially during the holiday season, but buckle up, we're just beginning our investigation into when. Is there anyone else who can help us out with the win? Well, matter of fact, there is a follower of Jesus Christ by the name of Paul is a tremendous help when it comes to the timing of Jesus' birth. He wrote a letter to a group of Christians fairly early on, and he wrote these words in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. We might not be able to pinpoint the exact date of Jesus' birth, but this we do know God could not have chosen a better time. Now, that's easy to say, but I doubt it felt that way to Joseph and Mary. This was not the right time for a pregnancy. After all, they hadn't even exchanged ideas. And what about when those labor pains hit Mary? I imagine what went hurt through her mind was something like this. Oh, no, not right now. This isn't the right time. My, my birth plan, my family support system, my OBGYN is back in Bethlehem, not Nazareth. This is not the right time. And it wasn't exactly the best circumstances that brought them to Bethlehem either. This wasn't one of those, hey, last second, let's get out of town and go to a spa before the baby arrives type of trips. The only reason they were in Bethlehem is because they had to be there. In fact, Luke writes this in Luke chapter two and verse one through four. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And it turns out the only reason they were in Bethlehem is because the government said, you've got to be there. It's time for us to take a census. And why was the census necessary? Well, Caesar Augustus needed to figure out exactly how many people were living in the area so that he could figure out the right tax revenue to make sure that he could continue to fund his army and to build his roads and to support his luxurious lifestyle. And so the prospect of an increase in taxes by those who were barely getting by in the first place, well, that doesn't exactly create a festive atmosphere, does it? Now, we recognize that we have censuses in this country as well. Uh, every 10 years is mandated by Article I, let me get this right or I'll get in trouble, Article One, Section Two of the Constitution, Says we're going to take a census every 10 years to figure out how many people are living in the United States. It's mandated. But the good news is, we don't have to travel anywhere, do we? Somebody shows up at our door, or they send something in the mail, or maybe it's online now, but we're not inconvenienced at all. We don't have to go anywhere. So, my real point is this it was not the right time, they were not in the right mood, it was not the right circumstances. For this to be the right time for Jesus to be born. And to be fair, it wasn't the right time for Joseph and Mary. But that doesn't change the fact that it was the perfect time for Jesus to be born. So why was it the perfect time? Well, only God can answer that question with any degree of authority. But from human observation, there were a few things at play that make it the right time. First, much of the world had been unified under Rome, bringing into play an unprecedented time of peace. Now, was good news for most people, but not especially for the Jews who are living under the thumb of Roman rule. And so they longed for and they anticipated the arrival of Messiah that would finally free them. Now, the second factor was this. That the road system that had been built and watched over by Rome, it made travel far easier and safer than ever before. And this meant that this good news of the Messiah's arrival, it it could travel a lot quicker. People could hear about it. The third thing at play was this, while Rome was in power, Greek culture and Greek language, it brought this sense of cohesion to society. And so now you have the opportunity for the good news of Jesus Christ to be communicated to a lot of different people groups in a common language. And finally, for whatever reason, many, many people had grown disinterested or weary of the mythological gods of Greece and Rome during this time. And so not only were they open, but they are also looking for a God that was true in significance. And so for these reasons to so many other reasons, this was the perfect time. This was the right time for Jesus to be born. And what I'm captured by, I think, the most is that God in his wisdom, his planning, always knew exactly when the right time would be for Jesus to be born and being born at this time, Jesus was able to fulfill all of the prophecy. There's some prophecies that could not be fulfilled at any other time. You look at Psalm chapter 22. We read this prophecy about how Jesus would die by crucifixion. In Psalm 22 and verse 16 through 18, it says this, Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircle me. They pierced my hands and my feet. All my bones were on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Those words were written close to a thousand years before Jesus was even born. Those words were written at a time where crucifixion hadn't even been thought of yet. it's most likely that the Persians invented crucifixion, but it was later, years later, that Rome perfected crucifixion. And so those words were written so much prior to Jesus coming into the world. And the point being is that Jesus came at just the right time because he would have come later, like today. Well, crucifixion is not used as a means of execution by the state, Right. And so he came at just the right time to fulfill that prophecy and more than 300 other prophecies. And for me, that's one of the most convicting reasons to believe in the validity of, validity of Scripture. Name one other book, one other book that's been right on 300 plus prophecies and has missed on none. You can't. There isn't one. This is the only one. Now, some people may argue, well, it was probably manipulated that that maybe Jesus was born in Nazareth, but they saw a prophecy that said Bethlehem, and so they rewrote the story and had him being born in Bethlehem. Maybe, but that one's hard for me to believe because... The early Gospels were written at a time where you still had people alive who were familiar with the story, they knew the circumstances, it would have been easy for them to say, no way, you're lying, that's not true. Too many people around still, they could call out that lie. Well, what about if you go the other way? Can you go the other way and say, okay, this man, just a man, gets executed on a cross, and so let's write in a prophecy that says something that that kind of foreshadows that. No, you can't do that because that's dated a thousand years prior to the death of Jesus. And so for me, this is a huge factor to say, you know what? This, all of this, it's true. And it's from God, and it describes what He did for us as a people. The win of the Christmas story reminds us that God's timing is always perfect. He's never too early, and he's never late. And it doesn't always feel that way. When your boyfriend dumps you, do you ever think, my goodness, that came at just the right time? (laughs) Or you get called in and they say, you know what, we're sorry, but we're going to have to let you go and it's the holiday seasons. Do you go into the HR office and say, wow, you guys really nailed the timing on that one? Or what about the time when they say you have cancer? I don't care how old you are, it's never the right time to receive that news. But just because it doesn't feel like the right time for you doesn't mean it's not the right time, especially if you believe that God works for good for all those who've been called according to His purpose. You see, it may not feel like the right time for you to get dumped by your boyfriend, but it may be just the right time to get you out of an unhealthy relationship. It may not feel like the right time to be laid off from a job, but it may be just the right time to give you the space to try to figure out a more meaningful career path. It may not feel like just the right time to get the news that you're sick, but it may be just the right time to move you in the direction of Jesus Christ and placing your faith and your trust in God and having the relationship that He desires to share with you. Now, by no means am I suggesting that everything happens, that everything that happens is on God's time. I personally believe the evil one loves to bring along pain and disappointment and hurt at the worst possible time because his desire is to get us to question or to doubt the character of God. But what I am saying is this, is that God can take all things, good and bad, and he can use those to advance his purposes in our lives and for his kingdom if we will cooperate with him. So how do we cooperate with Him? Here it is, you ready? We must wait on God's timing. We wait on His timing. As Psalmist says in Psalm chapter 27, verse 14, wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart, and wait for the Lord. Is that easy to do? <laughs> Maybe it is for you, it is not for me. Not when you can get things done, right? Now, imagine that was the mindset that Sarah had. You remember Sarah, don't you? Uh, Sarah was this woman who was promised by God that you're going to have a child. And for years, she waited for that child, but she kept staring at pregnancy sticks that only had one blue line. And so finally, she got tired of waiting and she decided we're just going to make something happen. And so she went to her husband, Abraham, and she said, here's the plan. You sleep with my handmaid, Hagar, and that's how we'll help God out in this situation. And so he did. And that was a great decision, right? They had a baby, but it also created jealousy and conflict, broken relationships, Let me give you another example, another person with a get-things-done attitude. His name was King Saul. And for seven days, King Saul waited just as he had been instructed to do, waited to offer a sacrifice, waited for the prophet Samuel to show up and do his job, offer that sacrifice. But on day seven, Samuel was still a no-show. And fearing that the Philistines might strike at any time, Saul decided, you know what, waiting's no longer an option. It's, it's just not. And so he decided, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to offer the sacrifice to make sure we're ready to go. We can go into the battle if we need to go into battle. And that was a great decision, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. It wasn't because only Levitical priests were allowed to offer sacrifices. And not only that, if you're the king of Israel, you're not allowed to also be the spiritual leader of Israel. This is the prophet Samuel's job to do. Even if Samuel was being a little bit of punk by dragging his feet and showing up on time, it's still his job to do. Was that a bad decision? It was a bad decision. In fact, it cost Saul his throne. And both of those examples are sober reminders that it's never the right time to do the wrong thing. It is never the right time to do the wrong thing. But is, is is it ever the wrong time to do the right thing? Well, this answer may surprise you, but the answer is yes. I'll give you another example from Scripture. At some point in his missionary journey's Paul had a desire to take the good news of Jesus Christ to Bithynia. That's a, that's a good desire, right? It's a great desire to want to share Jesus with other people. But for whatever reasons that aren't mentioned in the text, it's the right desire. But the timing's all wrong. Acts chapter 16, verse 7, When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Okay, so let's be real practical. Is it ever the wrong time to share your faith? Is it ever the wrong time to meet a need? Is it ever the wrong time to provide a solution? Is it ever the wrong time to confront a problem or troubling situation? Is it ever the wrong time to offer your opinion? Yeah, it is. It is, especially if the Holy Spirit says it's the wrong time. The Holy Spirit says it's the wrong time it's the wrong time. It's the wrong time. Listen, there are a lot of people you don't want to get in a fight with. A lot of people you don't want to get in a wrestling match in this world. Uh, The Rock, you don't want to fight with him. Or Ronda Rousey or Nick Bosa, right? But at the top of the list, pencil in the Holy Spirit. You don't want to be at odds with the Holy Spirit. And so doing the right thing at the wrong time can be just as disastrous as doing the wrong thing. So how do you avoid both of these errors? First, look for what God is doing, especially in those times that are inconvenient. Especially in those times that you feel like you could do better, that you have a better sense of timing. It's so important for us to understand God's desires for us. For Mary, it may not have felt like the right time. It's not the right time. But when an angel of the Lord showed up and said, Oh no, Mary, this is the right time. It's the right time for you to carry Jesus. She got on board real quick, didn't she? And anytime we get a stirring of the Holy Spirit that says, This is the right time for for you to act on the will of God. We need to get on board quickly as well. Because that's the right time. Now, of course, when you get a stirring from the Holy Spirit, you need to verify that with the Word of God. Because any stirring that you perceive that doesn't align with God's revealed will, that's not coming from the Holy Spirit. That's probably originating from a place like fear or maybe ambition. Maybe it's coming from a place of shame, or maybe it's coming from a place of pride. Second, We need to pray for God to help us discern the right time to act. For instance, is it ever wrong to have a direct conversation with someone who has hurt your feelings? No, it's a good thing to do, but the timing may not be right. In fact, you may not have allowed yourself to calm down enough to have a conversation that will be productive. Or the possibility is that other person may not be in an emotional space where they can actually hear what you have to say. And so by taking the time to pray, it actually slows us down instead of rushing into a situation at the wrong time. And our prayer should be for the Holy Spirit to make it very, very clear to us whether or not the time is right to act. And since that can be often difficult for us to discern on our own, I want to encourage you to seek out the counsel of a trusted and spiritually minded friend or friends to give you input. You see, when emotions get hijacked, uh, it's really tough. It is hard when we're running on strong emotions to get our timing right. We're prone to bad timing during those times. Uh, For instance, the emotion of fear or dread, it can cause you to drag your feet instead of moving in the direction that God wants you to go. Same time, emotions of desire or anger can cause you to rush in way too Quickly. So you kind of need to, to slow down and figure out the right time. Now, let's be honest. When somebody comes to us and says, hey, this is the time that you need to take action on X, Y, and Z, and you don't want to, that can be really, really infuriating to hear, right? But oftentimes that's the push that we kind of need to move towards a path of blessing, the same time, flip side, it is hard to hear someone say, you know what, this isn't the right time, especially when you really want to do it. And when you got in your mind, this is what I want to do. I think it's the right decision, but you're serious about this stuff. You're praying about it. You can't discern it. You go to a friend and say, should I do this? And they say, no, you really shouldn't do this yet. Don't think it's right yet. That can be tough to hear. But at the same time, it's that counsel that may keep you away from regrets or heartache or disappointments. And so pay attention to what others have to share with you. We must seek God's timing because it's always right. And that includes the time that you're in right now. So let me ask you, what, what time is it for you right now? What season are you in right now? The writer of Ecclesiastes mentions different seasons of life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1, He says, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you the name of the season that you're in. Now, sometimes I feel like it's time for me to dance, but my boys are adamant that it is never the right time for me to dance. (laughs) Nobody wants to see that. But here, I want you to select one word from that list or use your own word, and I just want you to turn to the person next to you and mention the season that you're in right now. You don't have to give any explanation, but just mention that season that you're in right now. Everybody ready? Go. Okay, I'm going to have to cut you off there now. We're moving into conversation, so you can continue that after service and explain more over lunch. The second thing, once you've named the season, here's what I encourage you to do. Embrace the season. Just embrace it. It may not be the season you want to be in right now. It may not feel like the season that you should be in right now. But it's the season you're in. And the season you're in has much to teach you. And there, is ble- there are blessings that can come out of this season. But too often the mistake we make is this. We want to rush through a season to get to the next season of life. And we miss the blessings and we miss the lessons that we should be learning in those particular seasons. And so whatever season it is right now, you embrace it. You hold it. You learn from it. You be blessed by it. As hard as it is. And some of you are in some hard seasons right now, so I don't say that lightly. So third, seek God in every season. Seek Him in every season. I've learned that God's timing is always right. Right. I think about how He brings certain people into our lives at just the right time. I think about how He offers opportunities to come out of nowhere at just the right time. I think about God's ability to take all things and make them work for good for those who love the Lord and have been called according to His purpose. And He can do the same thing for you. He brought Jesus into the world at just the right time. He's working in your life at just the right time and in just just the right way. So my encouragement to you as we close is simply this. Whatever season you are in right now, good or bad, trust God enough to obey him in this moment. Just like two teens did, Joseph and Mary.